0: Listening to the Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White.
1: Welcome to the Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers, brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how you doing, mate? I am doing lovely. Thank you for asking. Yeah, and great. how is life in your world? It's pretty good. I'm six feet away from you, so yeah, yeah. Should, yeah uh, but that's
2: like now. But I mean, that's not normally the case, and. Uh, uh, you know, it's important for our listeners to also get up to date on your personal life, Jeff. I mean, they're, they care about you.
1: <laughs> well, my ribs are sore from a crash last week, so that's all you need to a, know. A mountain
2: bike crash, people <laughs> should know. It's not like something particularly, uh, you know, motorized vehicular or anything.
1: It's still reasonably quick. Yes, yeah. The ground comes yeah, but, up fast. But
2: you did it to yourself. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah, nobody smoked you from behind or something. It's like, no, no, you were just dumb enough to be doing what you were
1: doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No. Well, have look. you been talking to my wife
2: <laughs> um, but look uh, uh shifting to business i think um uh today's conversation is going to be pretty fantastic i uh i've been really um uh you know the, the notion of, of of product information the importance of product data and how that scales is certainly something that's been um a uh, hot topic of late. It's been the subject of a number of podcasts that we recorded, but I think today's guest is going to be able to put a little bit more meat on that bone, which yeah. is pretty cool. So, yeah, I'm really excited for today for today's chat. I, um, so, let, let's just uh, introduce today's guest and get into it because I think there's lots of uh, ground to cover.
1: Absolutely. So, joining us today is Sherry Foster. Sherry is the co-founder of Ascendex Digital. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Sherry.
3: Thank you so much. It's, uh, I'm excited to be here. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and. They're great, so it's great to be a part of it.
1: Look,
2: anytime somebody who listens to the show is actually willing to come on it, we <laughs> take that as a bit of a win.
3: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. The only other person is our moms, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and no, they can't come on. Uh, to say. Yeah,
2: they, they keep asking, but uh, um, uh, but in all seriousness, look. The first things first, Sherry, um, uh, please introduce us to ascendex uh, Digital uh, a little bit further, and and you, and and tell us a, a bit about um, how you've come to be on the show today.
3: Yeah, sure. Um, So I've been in the tech industry for a little over 25 years, mostly in um, sales and marketing executive roles, but almost exclusively B2B. And uh, in that industry, uh, I've spent most of my time at HP, at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, uh, and at startech.com. And uh, now uh, I'm, as you said, co founder at Ascendex Digital. And what we're doing is we're helping companies really optimize their digital business. Um, things have changed, as we all know, uh, and they were changing even before the pandemic. But we're, we're helping them through um, understanding their brand and their customer experience because things, like I said, have changed, buyers have changed, their process has changed, the journey that they take to on their path to purchase has changed. Um, and we also help them optimize their digital business through what we like to call product information excellence. And product information it's sort of a new oxygen of that B2B online experience. And so we're we're sitting down with companies who either are trying to figure out how to get online and how to take advantage of, of this new wave, or um, they're already online and they're trying to figure out how to expand either to industry marketplaces or, or other ways of, of selling online.
1: And you, you had mentioned to us previously, uh, you know, uh, a stat from McKinsey that, you know, 70% of B2B buyers are willing to make purchases, uh, almost 100% of their purchases of up to $50,000 online. I mean, that's staggering.
3: Well, it's staggering to think that that they're willing to spend over 50000 What's even more amazing is that in that same study, it was more than a quarter, so it was like 27% or something, were willing to spend more than $500,000 in a self-serve online transaction. And 15%, which doesn't sound like a lot, are willing to spend over a million. So that means that they're trusting the online experience, they're trusting the product information that's served up to them, um, and they're trusting those brands that, you know, and, and those manufacturers that they're working with
2: that's a really important point because um uh you know okay, sure lots of folks want to talk about how uh you know we've uh, the digital shift has been accelerated almost like uh, 10 years in uh in, in uh, nine months because of uh uh covid but uh, you know not a lot of people putting the meat on the bone to the point of of, of getting to this level of you know the the the, the 50% of, of those buyers willing to spend over a million bucks, you know, a, a, a million dollar transaction online. That is a different world and it has to be a wake up call to manufacturers. Are you, so, so basically is your phone just ringing off the hook now? <laughs>
3: um, well, uh, it's ringing and uh, we were a pretty new company. Um, we kicked off, uh, two or three months ago. So yeah, we're, we're getting busy. And uh, definitely, people are really engaging with the kinds of things that we're saying. And they're asking really good questions. Um, I think some of them are, are starting to figure out that they need to do something different. I, I think a lot of um, businesses have figured out that they needed to be online, but they're just now starting to figure out that it's not as simple as you know just throwing up Um, a couple of descriptions and maybe an image or two and thinking that if you put it out there, they will come, Um, that there's a lot more to it.
1: So not to put you on the spot or anything, but what are some of the most common questions you're hearing?
3: Um, I think we're hearing things like, well, you know, my my product information is online. Um, I'm doing really well on maybe my e-commerce site, but I'm not doing so well. on on a marketplace site. Or, my product information is really good, why aren't aren't people engaging with it? Or, um, I've got product information, how do I translate that and use that, or can I even use that on a third party industry marketplace where I wanna compete? Or sometimes they'll say, I don't even know where I should compete, help me with a channel strategy of where I can take my business. Um, beyond my own e-commerce store, so those—that's what we're hearing right now.
2: I really think that interplay, uh, if you will, between the marketplaces and company sites is a it's an interesting. Uh, dynamic i think people get um you know some people they 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 get the products out there on on marketplaces but they don't uh, have an e-com experience themselves Mm. uh Mm -hmm. and they and they feel that they've checked all the boxes because their product is available online and it worked (laughs) right Mm -hmm. or they've
1: got distributors who have their products online mm. and they feel they can't compete with their own e-commerce site
2: yeah that's an incredibly common um situation
1: i guess what what have you
2: learned about the the uh, I guess, if you will, that interplay between marketplaces and company sites and the importance of one vis-a-vis the other?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, I think you start with the customer journey and uh, most businesses need to start there and they really need to figure out how the the buyers that that purchase their products or services get to the point of purchase. So we know that most, especially B2B buyers, are doing research online. Um they are searching uh, not only, you know through Google, but on industry sites. Uh, and we also have seen research that says that uh, buyers who purchase on industry marketplaces in the B2B space, about 70% of them will visit the manufacturer site before they make that purchase. Does't mean that they buy on the manufacturer site, they may, Um, But they will go back to that manufacturer site to first of all see maybe where they're headquartered, Um, you know, how legit are they, Uh, they want some more technical information, because as you can imagine, on a marketplace site, sometimes the information, the product information can be limited, not always, but sometimes it can be limited. And so somebody may need some more technical specs, they might want to read uh, a manual or a white paper or, or chat with somebody. So they may go to the manufacturer site. Um, in some cases, they go back to the marketplace site and and why they would do that is that they're not just buying that particular manufacturer's product, but they may be buying a wider solution. It might be uh, a part of something else. And so they may like to shop at that manufacturer's site. We've seen stats that um, in the B2B space that the majority of B2B buyers are now spending somewhere in the neighborhood of over 25% of their online purchases in marketplaces. So we know that they're going to marketplaces. We also know that they're going to manufacturer sites. It's really important. We believe that if you're going to be selling online, that you're in in both places, especially if you're in a marketplace to have a strong strong site. Um, And because we know buyers are going back and forth.
2: That um, that component of, um, uh, if you will, uh, sales validation versus, you know, jumping over to the manufacturer site to see if I can get it better, cheaper. I mean, I almost thought the consumer equivalent is almost like when you're looking at a marketplace, like, look, at, you know, you're going to get a hotel room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you're like, okay, well, like, I don't I know. Can I get it better on hotel I'd, tonight? Well, I <laughs> always go, if I find something like hotel.com or whatever it is, um, my next step once I find it is to go to the actual uh, hotel website to see if it's available for the exact same price or cheaper. And if it is, I'll go there because I feel that I'll be able to deal with them better from a customer service relationship yeah. than buy the marketplace. Now that's a lot of self-reference criteria and consumer-based criteria that I'm bringing into this. But Sherry, I'm just wondering how, do, do you get a sense of, or is there any data out there that shows kind of what percentage of those buyers or B2B researchers are, are, are actively looking to actually buy would prefer to buy from the, the manufacturer website versus the marketplace? I mean, I, I think certainly for the most part, marketplaces tend to deliver a better um, e-commerce experience than many manufacturers. So I can understand what pushes them to buy from marketplaces. Well, that
1: is their product.
2: Right. <laughs> but I, I just kind of wonder what the, um, you know, do we have any insight into the preferences of those um, like if manufacturers did offer a fantastic ecom experience in that scenario, um, do we have an idea of the percentage of people that might take them up on it?
3: So I don't, I don't have a stat that that answers that directly. Um, we do know that they go back to the the manufacturer site, and we do know um, from studies that you know at least a quarter of their purchases. So if you know if a quarter of their purchases are on the marketplace. Um, then many other purchases are on on direct sites. So we know that they're going back and forth. But I'll give you one very recent stat that's more consumer-oriented, but I think it's very interesting. So Target just announced some some earnings in the last few days, just very recently. And their uh, e-commerce revenue was up something like 155%. Somebody did some analysis, and for the most part, the products on that target.com, were at least 10% higher than you would have found them on amazon.com. And so you wonder why that is. I mean, that, now I'm comparing two marketplaces. But you know the point is, is that those customers uh, who bought on Target value that brand, value that experience, have a connection to that marketplace of Target, um, are loyal to that. Target's done a really great job of building up customer and brand loyalty. And that's what marketplaces are doing. Some people feel the same way about Amazon, for example. So buyers, um, you know, they like to recognize a brand. They like to feel connected with that brand and it may be the brand of the product, but also that purchasing experience. So they, they trust it. They like it. They are familiar with how the search works. They know they can find what they're looking for. So, what you're starting to see is that there's preferences around the experience of buying the product in addition to the products themselves,
2: yeah, that makes total uh, that makes total sense to me um, yeah. and, you know that in some way, the price sensitivity at least decreases if not evaporates and you yeah, know if, if you
1: have a connection with the brand yeah. already and and a desire to work with somebody that you know and, and i
2: Anybody that's an Apple customer is not in their head right
1: now. <laughs> yeah, a special breed. Raise um, uh, raises hand as somebody who is that person. Um, but you also found that, you know, in this, in the current time as well, due to supply chain issues and other things like that, it, that, you know, customers are, are choosing to buy brands that they may never have worked with before. Can, can you talk a little bit about that and, and maybe what's behind it?
3: Yeah, so we have seen stats through COVID um, that buyers are less loyal. You know, So I just talked about brand and brand's important, but we're seeing through COVID, um, buyers are slightly less loyal to brands um, and that stats are saying that buyers are, are trying new brands they've never tried before. Um, and you know, one of the big reasons is availability. So they'll be searching perhaps on a marketplace, something will come up, a brand may come up in search that they may not recognize or they may not have seen before. But, and, and remember, they're looking at the product information, it looks good, they can you know, see in the images, they can look all around the product, they can read the specs, they're starting to feel comfortable with, with that product and it's available and maybe they can get it in a really fast time. Whereas something that maybe they had bought before might take a week. Um, People are are, not patient (laughs) these days. And so we're starting to see stats around around loyalty through COVID that loyalty is dropping. So we believe it's really important for um, manufacturers, B2B, to really build on that brand and really build that brand loyalty so that you can retain those customers because they are somewhat elusive right now um, during this time.
2: Well, I think the reverse may be true for these uh, manufacturers as well. It's like it's, it's time to accelerate that digital presence and mm-hmm. begin to out, yep. a, outpace your competition in terms of the digital experience that you're delivering because That's right. people are out there willing to try some other stuff right now yeah, in, a, yeah, exactly. in a more robust way than they have
1: before. Well, and I mean, this certainly speaks to what you were talking about a few moments ago, you know, with the, they really absolutely need to have their digital home nailed down. Even if they're not doing e-commerce on it, they need to establish that trust, make the company look, you know, real and and have a very solid base of product information there, even if they're not selling it directly just to validate it. That's so right. that when people go back to marketplaces, they feel like, okay, I, this is going to be good quality and I'm not going to get, you know, hosed. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly/sampleABM. That's b i t . l y slash sample ABM.
2: Well, look. Let's fast forward. Let's just look. Everybody that's listening now is 100% convinced, Sherry. Um, and uh, so now the question is, how do we how do we do this? Because um, and, and I think that your product information work really helps um, uh, uh, untangle this web, if you will. So uh, let's first talk about that product information challenge and uh, across uh, and 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 how the multiple marketplace environment impacts that. And, uh, and then how do we solve it will be next for for those uh, tuning in and seeking to know.
3: Yeah, sure. So um, you know. We um, at Ascendex have, you know, we talk about this product information excellence and there's, you know, six steps and you can go to our website and you can read all the blogs about that. But, at, you know, at a high level overview, you know, the first is, um, you know, that optimized product information content. And it's not, um, you know, just a, a title, a couple of bullets and a, a couple of, of photos because you're, you're competing with everything else that's out there. And especially in the B two B space, where things can be more tactical or higher dollars, like what we talked about earlier, that that content has to be really good. So, um, and it has to be search optimized. I mean, you got to be found. I mean, sometimes somebody's going to your your e commerce or your website because they've got a relationship with you, especially in B two B, and they know you, and so that that's that's great. Um, but if, if they're not, and we talked about people buying brands, they haven't bought before you need to be found. So you got to think about the search optimization, um, of all of that content so that you can be found, but that marketing copy and the images, um, they, they really need to tell your story. I think most people are familiar with the copy and, you know, there's bullets and product information and people can describe all of that. But I don't want people to forget also about that image gallery, you know, especially on mobile. And there are lots of stats to say B2B buyers are buying on mobile um, with their mobile devices, not just their laptops. A lot of times buyers will go to the site, they'll search, they'll pull up that product listing and they will scroll through that image gallery before they read the content later on in the page. So you need to think about your image gallery as your visual value proposition. How are you communicating your value proposition across those visuals? So you better be showing your product, you better be showing it from all different directions if it's a product. Um, Think about use cases, show it in use. Think about who is that target customer that I'm going after? How are they going to use my product? Because not everybody may use it the same depending on what that product is. So you need to show it in use. Think about annotations on those images. You can easily put certifications and logos and all of those kinds of things. So somebody can at a glance, just go through that and uh, and determine from that gallery that this is the product for me. And then that gets them to move on to the next stage where they can actually read sort of below the fold and get into some of the details.
2: I I think this is so incredibly important. And, you know, I, I don't know. I've been in the marketing uh, space now for well, basically my entire career. And I'm too old now. Um, so, and, you know, every time a marketer talks about the importance of visuals, I think there's a good number of people whose eyes roll back in their head and they're like, okay, great. We another, but of course. Yeah, another person who fancies himself an armchair designer talking to me <laughs> about the importance of visuals or the importance of brand. The fact of the matter is... Uh, Any scientific, look at any of the scientific literature, somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 to 80 percent of the sensory information that your body takes in comes in via the eyes. Um, So... It, it, a wall of text ain't it? Well, and as much as I, <laughs> I, I think long copy is a lovely thing. Um, and but my God, uh, y- y- there is that notion of uh, you can if you can tell that visual value prop. I love the way that you articulate that. If you can get that um, nailed, you could probably have somewhat subpar copy <laughs> uh, by comparison. Like, um, but I, I, I just don't think people. Uh, first of all, I don't know that they're always willing to spend the money to do product
1: photography and, and, and
2: image work. Uh, and, well, and
1: sometimes they just can't. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of uh, a recent guest we had, Heather from Eagle Pitcher, you know, the, their batteries leave for Mars and nobody tells her they need to actually have photos taken before, photo before they leave, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Not yeah. that those are going in marketplaces, yeah, but a, it's a similar yeah, idea.
2: Fly up by a SpaceX or whatever, yeah. take a few snaps. But, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, you know, it, it there, I think there is something in the fact that as humans, that's just how we can take information. The eye is pretty magic.
1: Um, and it uh, and it trumps all other senses. For sure. But I mean, there's other opportunities. You know, we're not just talking about the photography either. You know, there. if you really want to enrich that data and you really want to leapfrog your customers, you should be, you know, including video and animations and 3D models that can be turned around and, and seen from all sides. So, I, you know, it, it truly is... It's a department all to itself within within marketing, just the generation of this content. And one of the other things that I, I don't want to lose sight of either is just, you know, given the number of marketplaces that are are opening up and, and exploding in many B2B industries, each one of them has slightly different requirements for content too, don't they?
3: Yeah, they sure do. And, you know, for, for businesses that have a great, you know, maybe they've done a, a fabulous job of their own e-commerce site. That doesn't necessarily mean it translates into a marketplace um, because every marketplace and 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 many of the the companies we're talking to are on multiple marketplaces and use multiple channels to to get their products to market. And everyone is slightly different. So I mean, I'll give you just the simplest of examples that the title of the product on, marketplace A might allow 175 characters and the title of that same product on marketplace B might have 80 characters. And so how do you take that product title with your keywords in there and everything else to optimize so that you get found on on that first search page and change that? Um, and, And not only that, but they're gonna have rules. So some will say, well, I want your product number at the end, or I want your brand name at the beginning, or whatever it happens to be. But then you get into the meat of those product listings, and some sites will allow 10 photos, some will allow five. Some will allow you to do uh, annotations, and some will say, no, no, we just want your product on a white background. Others will have 500 characters in the product description, and somebody will have 1500 characters in the product description. So. You know, and and then the search algorithms on each of those marketplaces are going to be different too. So uh, maybe the product description is indexed for search on marketplace A, and maybe it's not in marketplace B. Maybe a different uh, part of that product listing is, is indexed for search. So, you know, it's really important that you look at the marketplaces, that you really understand how each one works and how to be successful on each one. You take your product information. You're going to need to customize it if you want to be successful, but you can do it. And then you can place it out there and syndicate it to those sites. So it's, it's really important that you understand. And, and don't forget, too, that the buyers may be different on those sites as well. The other thing that you really have to consider when you're looking at marketplaces and, and customizing your product information, what you need to do is think about how each of those marketplaces operates. and. The search algorithm, for example, is going to be different because each marketplace has their own, depending on what kind of software they're using to run their marketplace. So Marketplace A um, may index the product description and the bullets in their search algorithm. Marketplace B may index just the bullets um, and maybe another another um, attribute that's on that page. The other thing is uh, helping, you know, working with those owners of those marketplaces, and hopefully they're gonna give you some ideas to how to be successful. Um, How do you come up first in search and understanding those algorithms? So marketplace A might look at your keywords and marketplace B might look at your keywords plus your sales revenue. And so that's gonna drive it too. So really understanding how you come up in search, how to optimize that product information on your page is gonna be really important as you take your content from your own e-commerce store to one of these third-party industry marketplaces.
1: I, I can't count the number of times that I've had the discussion with uh, manufacturing marketers about the fact that the search on your own site, the search on your marketplace sites, and the search that most people think is the way it works, i.e. Google, mm-hmm. are not the same in any way, shape, or form, and none of them are as intelligent or or have the AI capabilities of Google. So, you know, you really in a lot of cases when you're going back to putting your content on a marketplace, you know, it really is, you know, search circa 2001 compared to the crazy learning algorithms that Google has by comparison. And and I I think it's really it it can be difficult for people to wrap their heads around the fact that not all of us have the power and the intelligence of of a Google search appliance.
3: Yeah, that's right.
2: Well, what? you're just going to say something like that and then leave it for me to
1: <laughs> to pick up the pieces. <laughs> but I, I do, you know, that I think that that's pretty interesting. And and I don't want to miss the fact either that, um, you know, certainly from a search engine optimization perspective. And by that, I, I mean this, you know, Google and Bing's of the world. You know, you can't just have the exact same, even if all of those marketplaces were exact, had the same requirements, you can't have the exact same text copied and pasted across the six marketplaces, your own site and your distributor sites. It's got to be a little bit different. Can Can you talk a little bit about how marketers can approach that and what tools might be available to them?
2: Yeah, I'm almost kind of wondering like, maybe guidance as to how different it needs to be yeah. in some way. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, I mean, in my experience, what we've seen is, you know, working with brands that are on multiple sites, you know, sometimes you can reuse information because some are similar. So if somebody has 85 characters and somebody has 80 characters, you probably use the same one. I mean, it's not that different, but, you you know, you go from 85 characters to 185 characters. There's a lot of real estate you don't want to miss out on. So, you know, when we've seen um, companies be successful at this... Uh, and I'm glad you asked this question because it's really important. I think people really forget about the processes and the tools and the technologies that can enable um, this kind of success. There's a couple of things. First is you know, the, 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 the creation and the management of that customized product information. And if you're only on your own site and maybe, you know, not too many marketplaces, um, you know, the legacy homegrown databases can be okay. But once you get onto multiple marketplaces and there's a lot of differentiation, product information management systems or PIMs are really important to think about because they allow you to um, have a central repository of that information, your product information. It allows you to very easily pick and choose certain fields to customize and and, and it keeps it together. Um, A lot of them also have really great syndication tools. So you can, Uh, you can go in there and and, uh, enter some kind of template information. So every time it goes to marketplace, you know, B, I know it has to look like this. I know that I have to have these attributes because marketplace C has different attributes and different character counts and all that kind of thing. So it allows you to set that up uh, and to be able to continually repeat um, the right information out to all those places. The other thing that's important too is to be able to have some, um, what the industry calls kind of digital shelf analytics. So being able to know when information goes wrong, and this happens all the time. So if you think about the process of somebody creating information to actually somebody seeing seeing that information, it can go through multiple steps. It can go through uh, information providers, it can go through distribution, it can then go to a reseller or a marketplace. And every time that that information flows, things can go wrong. Um, Listings can fall off. So being able to know, you know, are all my listings there? Is the information correct? And we've seen some crazy things and don't know why all of a sudden languages change or, or, you know, images fall off or whatever it happens to be. But if you don't know, you can't fix it. So you need to be on top of that. You need to be auditing and, and using automation to do that. But also think about the life of that product information. Let's say you've got two or 300 SKUs out there on, a, on a 10 different marketplaces, um, and all of a sudden some kind of term or, or technology changes. How do you go and change that? So you need some kind of system where you can do sort of a find and replace, um, and then you know sort of syndicate and 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 manage that information. Because manually changing you know two hundred SKUs on twenty marketplaces, do the math is just it's just a lot of work that generally doesn't happen. And then what happens is your information degrades, it doesn't get found, people read it, they think it's old, you're not keeping up, you know the terms are inconsistent or wrong. Um, and you lose credibility and that affects your brand. So, you know, having those processes in place, having a good workflow, having tools that enable that are really important as this gets more complex and as as brands and businesses get onto more marketplaces.
1: I think that's a, those are great tips for people to understand how to manage and and understand how their content is performing. And understand
2: why it's important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it is an area of um, uh, marketing, frankly, I think that's just so ignored, um, the, the proper management of product information. Um, you know, you so rarely uh, come across companies that do it well. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's the exception, not
1: the rule. That's for, for sure.
2: And even, you know, you, know, uh, you know, manufacturers that are well over a billion dollars in annual sales Still. and that
1: may actually contribute to it because they have hundreds of thousands of SKUs potentially yeah. and the management of oh, that product information is just onerous it's a heavy lift yeah so, yeah. yeah but
2: it's it's worth lifting <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and, and it needs to happen i mean yeah. this isn't going away no right like, oh she said let's bet against online selling and online marketplaces <laughs> shall we uh
1: yeah yeah, I don't think that's in anybody's best interest. Well, listen, Sherry, um, I, I I'd love uh, to wrap up here and just find out if you have—is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners about how they should be thinking about their uh, their product content and and uh, and how best to optimize that moving forward?
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, just to sum up, I would say that you know, if if they really step back and and start with that customer journey, um, if they don't know, you know. Companies like Ascendix Digital, we can help, but you can also go and talk to some of your customers as well and ask them. Um, Try to find out how they're doing that because I think you'll be surprised um, at the path. It's not linear. They're generally going a lot of different directions. Find out what they've read, what kind of research they've done, how they got to you um, in the first place, and what kind of information they are consuming. Um, Your marketing department can help, um, IT can help with all of that kind of thing. And once you understand that journey, that path to purchase, what those customers are are looking for, you can actually start to populate that information with something that they're looking for. And if you can, you know, speak to that target market in the way that they want to be spoken to. So, you know, if they're technical, don't talk to them like they're a consumer if you understand the path that they go to and you can place your product information on that journey where they want to find it, um, then you know I think you'll you'll be really far along. So that that customer journey is the place to start. And then really thinking about how you optimize every single step of the way will will get you to where you want to be.
0: Brilliant.
2: Fantastic. Well, Sherry, look, thanks so much for taking the time to share your experience and expertise with us today. It's been a real pleasure.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was it was really fun. And maybe we can do it again.
2: Indeed, indeed. Absolutely. All the best. Thanks a lot.
3: Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at slash The Cooler Ring. That's K U L A slash The Cooler Ring.